0: Alright, welcome to episode 37 of the Breaking Balls Podcast, the only show that covers everything from DeMar Hamlin to Denny Hamlin, Bob. Fly Eagles fly, by
1: the way. We've uh, we've got a loaded schedule, Ad, Obviously, divisional weekend for football, a lot of playoff to break down. Wasn't as good as last week, I'll be honest, but to make up for it, folks, we're starting our NASCAR season preview. We've got a couple of teams to break down to get it started, and a uh, you know, loaded weekend for the boys. Let's get into it, Dolly. It is episode 37, the Rodney Harrison episode, the Ricky Stenhouse episode ad. It's really whatever your oyster wants to be in the world, but uh, you know we've made it through Divisional Weekend, and uh, I'll be honest, it worked out good for you, my friend. Your enemies lost, you won, working out well for the Eagles gang.
0: I mean, talk about a weekend to be Adam O'Shea, because... Not only do they beat the Bricks, and by they I mean the Philadelphia Eagles, they beat the Bricks off of the New York Giants, which we will talk about later. But most importantly, Bob, arguably most importantly, the Dallas Cowboys collapsed in dramatic fashion in such a way that almost makes you smile. It wasn't if but when they were going to blow that game and it was I knew what the ending was going to look like and I still sat there and just you know with bated breath, just so excited, so excited to hear and watch Dak Prescott do everything he could to lose that football game with the help of Mike McCarthy Bob. I mean Go ahead. I've I've <sighs> talked long enough. Take it back.
1: No, no, I, at this point, uh, you know, the NFC beast is your territory. I don't, I don't want to overstep my bounds in the, into your, your turf, my friend, but uh, you know, obviously I think we'll start with the Sunday night game. That's fresh in memory here. That just, that just wrapped up here within the hour. So we'll talk about that here. And lo and behold, Ad Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys. Well, I'm not even going to throw the Cowboys in there. They've had 27 years of it already. Mike McCarthy lost another playoff game that was very winnable, Rinse, repeat. It just feels like, you know, it's Groundhog Day again in the NFL. I will say, you know, we, we're we going to use the word choke probably, you know, thrown around kind of loosely here. This was a heavyweight fight. Let's, let's call it what it is here. Two great teams, two great defenses here. At the end of the day, the Niners just have so much damn talent. You know, Brock Purdy, even in the face of that Dallas pass rush, you know, did just enough, didn't make mistakes, got the, you know, guys he needed to step up. Kittle with an amazing catch down the field. You had McCaffrey. That team is loaded here, but, you know, add again, we go back to it. The Cowboys with another winnable game. Just down the toilet. You hate to see it, or or do you?
0: No, I mean, you love to see it if you're me, but you know, let's give the, let, let me give the 49ers their flowers a little bit, and then we'll get into Cowboys slander because we could be there a while. I think you know that. So um, if you're the 49ers, obviously Brock Purdy got away with his mistakes again tonight. Um, I think if you watched this game, they were definitely there. There was a couple balls that were almost intercepted, overthrown, got tipped, things like that. Things that just are going to happen, especially to a young quarterback that's adjusting to playoff speed. Um, Got away with those mistakes, and everybody else was great around him. That offensive line and that run game looked really out of sorts in the first half, but um, I think they kind of alluded to it on the broadcast a lot, how that one-handed catch from Kittle kind of got everything right, got everything going in the right direction for that offense, and they never really looked back. Um, It it just felt like the 49ers – had the mentality to where they were going to help come hell or high water win that game. And the Cowboys didn't make it all that difficult on them, Bob. They just kind of, you know, I think that last drive, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but it was just so indicative of everything that the Cowboys have been all year. Um, You know, Dak Prescott rolling out, almost taking a safety and then finally getting the ball off, you know, because, great athlete, able to bounce off the tackle and just almost throws an interception immediately after Dalton Schultz stepping out of bounds. I mean, take your pick of blunders here at the end of the game, right down to how Mike McCarthy managed the whole thing, but just a chef's kiss of a Cowboys playoff loss. If you ask me, Bob, this, we've seen some painful ones in the past, but this, this, this is, is, this familiar feeling couldn't have happened to a, a a better fan base. You know, I, I really like to feel bad for the Cowboys fans, but I simply don't. So.
1: You mentioned the last drive, especially the the errors there that, you know, you're down at that point point. you have a chance to tie the game. To me, obviously execution, that comes down to coaching and having them prepared. Simply put, uh, you know, obviously you can have the boneheaded mistakes like Dak rolling out and almost taking the safety there. But at the end of the day, it comes down to coaching and, you know, having them in that moment, being ready to, you know, be, Comfortable, uncomfortable. And, you know, Mike McCarthy's teams have a history of, you know, underperforming when the moment is bright like this. And, you know, I don't think that that is any sort of coincidence, to be quite honest with you, that it happened again tonight. And I'll be straightforward with you. I don't think that the Cowboys have any shot of winning a Super Bowl with Mike McCarthy as their head coach. And I I said that when they hired him, it it felt like a stopgap, you know, a guy that. Obviously, an NFL vet, he's going to get you your division titles probably. But when it comes down to those elite games in January, when it matters, they they crumbled again. And you look at the stats here, very even game, but one more turnover than the Niners. They had the missed extra point. They had one extra field goal instead of a touchdown. That Ultimately, any one of those, you could flip it, probably goes a different way there. You know, one of those three things goes differently. Probably is a different game. At the end of the day, it comes down to coaching, in my opinion. So, uh, just another another Mike McCarthy playoff loss, and Dallas fans. If he's back next year, which I don't see why he wouldn't be, it wouldn't have any plans on booking any you know Super Bowl trips to Vegas or wherever it's going to be.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're you're hitting the nail on the head here, Bob. But I even think it goes up the rung one ladder, one up the rung of this ladder one further because, you know, I, I respect Jerry Jones having the money of, and running the team however he wants. I get that. But it just seems as if everything he's doing would have been a a good move about 10 years ago, right down to the fact that he thought about bringing in Terrell Owens for a workout this year. So it just gets to a point to where you're consistently not only behind the curve, but you're two or three steps behind the curve. And as Jerry Jones continues to age, continues to kind of take a bigger role in league, and things going on with the league, with you know, of course, all the Dan Snyder nonsense. We've got all sorts of things going on with the league, and Jerry Jones always seems to be in front of it. Maybe it's time to give somebody else the reins, and maybe let somebody else have a crack at you know designing a team because clearly you haven't been very good at this since the nineties. And the nineties just, you know, as much as as much as the nineties are coming back into style, Jerry, the one thing that hasn't have been the Cowboys. So. I mean, does it surprise me that they lost like this? No, absolutely not. But each time you watch it, right down to that last play, Bob, they tried to set up the lateral and Dak just – the 10-yard pass to get – I don't even know who the receiver was, but he got absolutely –
1: What the hell was that that formation?
0: It it didn't make any sense. At that point – I don't understand. You've got Ezekiel Elliott. If you're that worried about it, just hand the ball to Zeke and just start putting receivers. Zeke behind. got
1: murdered snapping the ball. He got oh absolutely murdered. Gosh. And then as soon as they threw the ball, boom, receiver got murdered too. It was it was just a calamity from the start there.
0: What's, that's the thing. I, I genuinely think they came out in there in like a weird formation and thought that it was somehow going to be like a flag football type of deal. And the 49ers came out and they did everything right. They put Zeke on his ass right in front of Dak and it scared him Threw the ball too quickly. Receiver wasn't expecting it. And there it was. I mean, it's just one of those things that it it blows your mind to consider that these NFL head coaches are paid just an absurd amount of money to handle end of game situations like this one. And to see it get botched by Mike McCarthy again, I mean, he just has a history and a track record of consistently doing this. And just to see it all happen again in front of me, I mean, it's the Cowboys, so it always feels good. But it, you can't help but kind of almost feel bad after a little while. I mean, shit. They, these Cowboys fans, they got to know what's happening before the, before the game even starts. It's, it's got to be painful.
1: Yep, nope, I agree. Uh, On the other hand, though, we'll stay in the NFC just because, you know, the the NFC championship is going to be set next week in Philadelphia, lovely, lovely city of brotherly love, Philadelphia ad. Uh, The Eagles took care of business. You know, say what you want about, you know, the Giants having this, you know, team of, you know, kind of destiny, hard-nosed football team. It felt like the Magic kind of got used all up in Minnesota, to be quite honest with you. This game from the start when the Eagles came out, scored on the first drive, you come out, the Giants get to midfield, Daniel Jones is sacked on third down, and the Eagles go back down and score. This one kind of felt like it was over before it started here, to be honest with you. And as an Eagles fan, that's probably got to be a great feeling to not have to worry about you know the second half of a, of a divisional playoff game. Uh, honestly, with a team that you've played twice already, that's you know hard-nosed football team, great coach, to me, this was a huge step for the Eagles. What, what were your thoughts as a fan there?
0: Yeah, just – One of those things that I texted you after the first drive and I said, there was not a thing in that drive that even an Eagles fan could complain about. And that kind of was the sentiment of the entire game. Um, Of course, there's always things you can nitpick and things that they'll have to go in the film room and tighten up, but just, they came out and executed. It's such a clip that they never let the giants get into the game. And you know, they the entire the entire pregame, it almost felt like every analyst was trying to convince America that somehow the Giants were gonna come out and be competitive with the Eagles because it's the third time that they're playing an NFL team. And all that is great, but I don't think they accounted for the pure gap of raw talent in these two rosters right now. And the Eagles just went out and showed who the more dominant team was. I mean, it it shouldn't have surprised anybody. And I think everybody kind of looked at the score at halftime. And I mean, I could say for myself, I was, I was shocked that it was happening that quickly. I was not shocked at the domination that took place because that's what it was. They forced Daniel Jones into uncomfortable situations, um, without really running a lot of exotic pressures, which has been their bread and butter all year, kept the rush lanes disciplined and just, they found a way to get things done. Jalen hurts all the credit in the world coming back, you know, clearly looks like, you know, he's, he's close to 100%. Of course he said pregame, he wasn't, but watching, uh, watching him play, I mean, just was able to make the throws was running the ball. RPO stuff was all there. So all good things for the Eagles going forward here, Bob, just, uh, Kind of crazy to, to see the Giants fall off like that. I guess I mean, but lightning often doesn't strike twice in the same place, and I think the Eagles just had them covered. Man, they—that was a route that was not pretty. You,
1: you look at uh, you look at the Giants. You know, like I said, using that you know magic in Minnesota, the Eagles have that rest that week to kind of prepare. And see the Giants there, and just felt like. The Eagles used that rest to really, you know, really win the trenches battle both sides on the defensive and offensive line. There, one of the best offensive lines in football, and it really showed. With I think it was almost 200 yards rushing. If it wasn't an Eagles record, it was it was one of the it was one of the best ones I know in franchise history there. And you know, it's really hard to stop that. That was the Giants' thing that they did in Minnesota. They stopped the run with Dalvin Cook, and it really had Kirk Cousins trying and beat them for Philadelphia they have too many options to to run the ball and pass that it just it would have taken a mammoth effort there and you know for a team that scored I think 30 points four straight games if I'm not mistaken here that team just did not look like the same Daniel Jones looked like he was you know the the Daniel Jones that we kind of kind of made the the rhetoric or the you know I guess what's the word here but uh, the, the the Daniel Jones we've made up in our mind from previous years. This was the Daniel Jones we got on Saturday night there. And, uh, you know, for the Eagles, that, that that's credit to them to make him look like that more than anything because Brian Dables had him playing very, very well the last few weeks. So uh, more than anything, I think it's a credit to the Eagles, their preparedness and, you know, the talent and, you know, really just there's no weakness on that roster if you really look at it. Uh, that being said, you know, Niners-Eagles, that's going to be a great game next week that we'll break down. But uh, two very, very talented rosters. Uh, no matter how you look at it, offense, defense—it's going to be a war next week in Philadelphia. Uh, but very excited for that. Ad. And on the AFC side, I, I don't even know how, where, where do we start here. What, what do you want to do here? You to, you, do we want to go to KC? Do we want to start there? And uh, I guess what is it? It's Matt Moore country.
0: I, I, I'm not sure if it's Matt Moore or Chad Henney or who the heck is. Or Chad Henney. Chad Henney. It's Sorry, Chad Henney. it's Chad Henney. It's Chad Henney country. But Bob. Um, It's kind of, it's a sad day when we've got to bury the Jacksonville Jaguars because there was a point in this game where I thought that they may have, may have done enough. And by done enough, I mean, hurt Patrick Mahomes in such a way that they had a chance of winning this game. And I don't know. I mean, it got close. I mean, you look at the final score and think about what could have been, certainly wasn't the blowout that um, a lot of people were kind of expecting in this game, but So goes playoff football. Um, I mean, obviously the health of Patrick Mahomes moving forward is kind of the main storyline that has come out of this game. But um, I think we do have to reflect and give the Jaguars, Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence a lot of credit because ultimately, they took a huge step this year. Nobody saw them winning this division. Nobody saw them winning a playoff game. And then to go into Kansas City, go into Arrowhead, one of the toughest places to play, and to make it a competitive game, it just shows that they've got a plan. They're all bought into Doug Peterson, and I'm anxious to see what happens with them next year, where they're going, and you know, nobody really gave them a shot, a snowball's chance in hell in this game. So it's, uh, it was good to see them put up a fight. Bob.
1: No, absolutely. They they said before uh, they talked to Doug Peterson said, you know, progression where Trevor Lawrence and kind of this roster is after your first year with them, you know, kind of where do you stand? He said, you know, we're on their way we're about halfway there. And that's very encouraging if you're a Jags fan to you know, be halfway there and take the step that they've done watching this game though, even with the Patrick Mahomes injury, which we'll talk about here in a second, but it it just kind of shows the difference between that championship elite caliber team in Kansas city and a team like Jacksonville that is building towards that. They have pieces that are going to be there for the next few years. They've invested in that offense. And yes, they had moments in that game where it looked like it was going to be closer, but at the end of the day, the championship pedigree of Kansas city really did shine there in the second half, especially because that was a winnable game for Jacksonville. It was a one score game for most of that second half. But the Chiefs' defense, Chris Jones, that interior line, the secondary really buckled down there. For a team that's very young in the secondary, especially with Kansas City, they played great ball in the second half, and that's something they didn't do last year against Cincinnati. They got them sent home. They're gonna have to do that moving forward. But this was a huge game for Kansas City when you know the offense wasn't humming like you know they can kind of lean back on usually. They're gonna have games like this, and that's a big win for them and just kind of shows the difference in the AFC between these good teams like Jacksonville and the elite teams like Kansas city, in my opinion there. But
0: yeah, you know, Ad,
1: if, if Patrick Mahomes is dinged up, that's a big, that's a big question mark.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with you a hundred percent, Bob. It's a pretty thick line between the elite teams in the AFC and the teams like you were, you kind of were characterizing there with them building. And, you know, the Jags being halfway there by their own head coach's assessment and to be 20, you know, To only lose this game by seven points is massively impressive. But um, let's talk about Mahomes' injury a little bit, um, especially because moving forward, it's probably all we're going to hear about all week, so we may as well decide that we are going to give it to you first here, Breaking Balls, because luckily, as a uh, highly performed, tuned athlete like myself at one point, I have dealt with a high ankle sprain or two. Um, At one point. They are massively painful, Um, one of those leg injuries that you almost wish you just broke your leg because then you wouldn't have to walk around telling people it was sprained because it is an awful injury. Um, obviously he will have access to a lot better medical technology than I did playing division three football. So it will be interesting to see with um, all the treatment options available to him and all of the um, injectable painkillers that will be available to him on game day. I doubt he will even feel that ankle, but Bob moving forward it definitely is something you got to take a look at because I mean, what is Patrick Mahomes without his his mobility and the ankle is going to limit that Bob.
1: Very much so. Uh, he's one of those guys that you don't really think relies on that mobility until you really watch the game unfold. The rollouts there, he just kind of his legs aren't, you know, his focal point of the game, but they're definitely an element there, and that's something that you have to watch moving forward. There, obviously, you know, if he has Travis Kelsey, they're always in the game. I don't care what's going on, they're always in the game with Travis Kelsey and fifteen on on, the, on under center there but it is something to watch and i think that uh, mr t dr tordal is going to be uh, in the locker room there on on uh, on sunday for sure uh, they'll they'll be there'll be an injection or two i'm sure around that ankle and you know he's going to play through it because he's an elite athlete these dudes are built different you know ad like you said you hear a sprained ankle and you think oh it's not that bad no it's honestly just as bad if not worse than a break in pain wise but it's just it's like a cold you have to play through it because it's it's just you know Limiting enough that you can still get through it, but it sucks. And you know we're we're gonna see it how bad it is, but you know we're gonna also see, you know, can they protect Patrick Mahomes and can they you know, make it through without doing any further damage as well?
0: Well, and, and to think about it in this way, Bob, just the luck of it actually being more of a pain tolerance injury than something that he can go out and really continue to mess up. I mean, obviously, you're anytime you walk out on the field and you have an injury and you're compromised, there's a chance that you'll get more injured. But spraining your ankle worse isn't really going to be a big difference as far as pain goes. So as long as he's got the pain tolerance to make it work, I'm anxious to see how it goes. Um, The Chiefs are not a team who run the ball very much. So Patrick Mahomes is really kind of in charge of a lot because he's a lot of their run game kind of goes off of like a screen play or like maybe just a draw or something like that. So it's a lot, it's very reliant on the quarterback's mobility and the quarterback kind of being able to create space for, you know, athletes out of the backfield. So just anxious, something to take a look at the game plan, see if it's changed a little bit, see if that mobility changes Andy Reid's plans at all. But Bob, do you want to move on to the other AFC game or do you got anything, anything left for the Chiefs and the Jags?
1: No, no, I I think that this was probably as far as entertainment wise that the best game of the weekend. To be honest with you, I, I know that uh, the the Cowboys Niners game was closer as far as score wise, but th- as far as you know, the Jags and Chiefs, I, I was pretty entertained by it. Obviously, last week everything going on with all the wild card games, it's going to be hard to match up for that. But it felt like a lackluster weekend here because ad you know. Kansas City is going to be getting a dose of reality, a Groundhog Day, a chance of redemption because the Bengals are going to be coming back into Arrowhead next weekend. Uh, huge, huge win. Joe Burrow going in to Orchard Park, beautiful Buffalo, New York, where the snow was falling. Absolute football weather out there, Ad. It was absolutely beautiful as a fan to watch. sure it was fun to play in, but add. The Bills, we've talked about them all year. This is the Super Bowl favorites. They're just shoe in They're humming. Buffalo, Kansas City, it's going to be a great game. And old Joe Burrow, Snow Burrow, I think they're calling him right now. That dude just came in, put up 14 right away, and said, nah, this crowd's not going to be in it. This Bills team ain't doing shit. Adam, that was a statement win. I, that was a bl- I expected this to be the game of the weekend, and it was probably a snoozer, probably the worst one outside of yeah. yours.
0: Yeah, I mean Joe Cool brings a blizzard up to Buffalo baby. I mean, that's all you can really say about this one. Through all of the questions we had about the Bengals offensive line and everything that we questioned about them going into this game, they took care of business in all three facets of this game. They they beat the Bills. They there was no if ands or buts about it. It wasn't fluky. The Bills didn't hand anything to them. The Bengals just went out and and put together a solid game plan. All credit to Zach Taylor and and the team for going out and executing it. But it, it was just kind of at some, it, it, with this Bill's team for the past three weeks, it's almost felt like everybody's been saying, yeah, but when they hit the gas pedal, yeah, but you know, yeah, they are playing badly. They are stumbling, but once they hit the gas pedal and go full speed, I mean, it's, it's going to, it's going to be different. And, at the end of the day, they never were able to hit the gas pedal in the same way that they were early in the season. Um, I, I think we saw that. The team that stuck in our mind, Bob, and I'm sorry to bring this up, was the Buffalo Bills that scored the no, you're. i I was going to say Tennessee it. It, it, it's, it was what was ingrained into our mind. It was one of the first primetime memories of this football season, and it never went away. And we thought that that high-octane, high-powered Bill's
1: offense was never going to go away, and it did. No, I'm glad you said the Titans Monday Night Football Game. That was literally what I was going to say, is this team peaked in the first half of the season, probably week two, week three. And we have that vision of the Bills in our mind all year that, well, this this team is capable of this. Well, sometimes teams come out hot, and everyone else kind of catches up as the year goes on. Teams develop, teams get chemistry. This Bills team was loaded from the start. And it might have just been a simple fact of, You know, the rest of the league kind of caught up a little bit toward the end of the year. The film was out there. You didn't have just these monster blowouts like you did the beginning of the season there. The the team looked beatable. They were close games. Last week in Miami was a red flag for a lot of people, and I think you see it now. Again, Buffalo, when it came down to it, couldn't run the ball. That was the biggest thing to me. Obviously, they had, I think, 80, 90 yards in penalties where Cincy only had, I think, 20, 15 yards but the biggest thing to me was the running game. Cincinnati was able to control the ball with Mixon. I, I mean, they rushed for over 150 yards, I believe. I haven't looked at the box score, but I know it was over 100 for sure. Buffalo didn't crack 70 yards for sure. I know that. Whether it was Singletary Cook, Josh Allen, this team couldn't run the ball. And when it comes down to playoff football, you and I know both. You have to be able to run the ball in January. And the Bills can't. It For whatever reason, this team is not simply built to run the football. And it it's going to keep biting them until they can consistently do that. They've got to they've fix that next season. Otherwise, it's going to be the same thing. This team is all hype, all, all flair, and when it comes down to it, they're going to be watching the Super Bowl like you and I.
0: Yeah, and I agree with you 100%, Bob, because they just don't have a run game. Their, their most effective running plays are generally quarterback runs. Their quarterback draws from Josh Allen or quarterback powers, which is even worse because it puts, you know – Kind of, we'll say it again, the straw that stirs the drink for the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen, it puts him in danger. And it constantly is getting him hit. And, yeah, he's a big guy, so he can take it, that type of thing. But at some point, you need to be able to run the football. And it it just showed today that the Bills got bullied a little bit by a unit, a trench unit that we don't give a lot of credit to. I mean, the defensive side of the ball definitely more than the O-line, but the O-line of the Bengals found found a way today to get the job done, give Joe Burrow just enough time. And I think if anything, Bob, this game goes to show you, if you've got Joe Burrow, you're in Super Bowl contention because, oh my goodness, man. I mean, the, the guy's a winner. He's found a way to make the team around him better. And I'm just excited to see how next week goes because we've got two incredible title conference title games. I mean... You know, Eagles Niners will give you anything you want as far as star power. And then you go head over to the AFC and you've got Joe Burrow versus Pat Mahomes. I mean, whew, this this it's exciting, Bob. I, I just, there's a lot of good football to be played next week.
1: Very much so. And, you know, obviously, like I said, Wild Card weekend was so good that you know, this weekend couldn't really probably live up to it. In the NFC, it felt like there were three teams that, you know, there was one that kind of didn't, you know, belong in that group. One of them that kind of was not like the others with the Giants there. And, you know, now that we've cut the fat here, we've got two of the elites in the NFC. And then obviously in the AFC, Burrow Mahomes, round two, and arrowhead a redemption story or, you know, to solidify the new king of the AFC. I mean, add the storylines write themselves here. The, I mean, the football is going to be incredible on Sunday there. And really, I i mean, as far as you're asking me, you know, just early thoughts here, I could see either teams coming away with these games. And a lot of times you go into conference championship weekend and, you know, the one seed one way or the other is probably the favorite. No, I mean, Chiefs, Chiefs, Bengals is a pick The Niners or the Niners Eagles is a two point game. And you really look at, that, Niners, that Niners-Eagles game especially, that's going to be a damn war. I mean, those two teams are physical, they love to run the ball, and they love to establish themselves in their their physical game on top of you. And it's really going to be who can establish that identity more. I'd, as an old-school football fan, I know you're going to love that game, as well as be stressed.
0: Yeah, I'll be highly stressed watching that game. But, it, yeah, it's it's trench warfare. It's going to be down dirty. 30 um, you got a great offensive line going up against a great defensive line in the Eagles offensive line and the, and the Niners defensive line. And then of course, on the other side of the ball, you've got one of the more creative run games against one of the more veteran and fundamentally sound defensive fronts that has been able to get home all year. So are the Eagles going to be able to affect that run game and make Brock Purdy pass? And when he drops back, will they be able to get home? I mean, that's the question of the game for me. Um, just so excited man there it it just seems like it's going to be a hell of a game they're just going back and forth you know just scrumming the scrumming a little bit you know getting getting four yards a pop and just I don't know man it'll be interesting to see who's able to control the ball and kind of um, impose their will on the opposition and see see how it's gonna go Bob I'm excited fly eagles fly
1: and we get to you know a battle Big Twelve versus SEC quarterbacks in both games. It'll be a, a nice little Big Twelve SEC showdown before the basketball weekend next weekend. So, you know, just we love it when rhetoric happens. We love it when a nice little storyline meets itself there. And I'm gonna make that storyline happen, damn it, on this podcast. So, add uh, any other thoughts here from from divisional weekend before we uh, before we wrap it up here and, and get into our breakdown.
0: Um, Cowboys fans, I'd like to redact my earlier statement. I, I do not feel bad for you at all. Redact, retract, all of it. I re-redact, as I'll call it, for this special purpose. But I do not have a, uh, do not have a good thing to say about you, Bob. But without further ado, why don't we go ahead and transition this into a little bit of racing talk, Bob. Oh, let's go racing I'm gonna have to cut This is going to be fun. All right.
1: I'm gonna mark it right now.
0: Flags in the air. buggy, boogity, boogity boogity. Let's go racing, boys.
1: Alright, Ad, we are back for the breakdown now, part of the podcast over here, at Breaking Balls. And you know, NASCAR preview, we're I believe two weeks out from the clash, my friend, and that means that silly season kind of wrapped up. Everyone's got their drivers kind of filled in here, and now It's time to break down some of the teams here. So, without further ado, my friend, let's get into the breakdown. Where are we starting here?
0: Well, I mean, when you think of NASCAR teams and you think of success in the Cup Series, you think of teams like, of course, Rick Ware Racing, Bob. And that's exactly where we're going to – I'm just kidding. We're not going to start with Rick Ware. But, you know – Bob, I, I think it is important because we we are going to come out. A lot of people will ignore some of the smaller teams, but we're going to talk a little bit about them. The Rick Wares of the world, the Spire Motorsports. We're stacking pennies over here at Breaking Balls, and we wanted to give these guys a little bit of love. So, Bob, go ahead. Give me one driver, not from a major team, that you are interested in kind of seeing if they can take a step this year towards maybe either a more successful team or maybe improving the team that they're on.
1: Yeah, I, I'm going to cheat here. I'm actually going to pick a team just because uh, Live Fast Motorsports, the the BJ McLeod kind of, you know, whoever's in that seat. I am actually interested to see one thing about that team before we get into kind of the meat of the bones here. They are switching from Ford and that SHR Alliance to the Trackhouse RCR. So they're going to be Team Chevy, I believe. So that's going to be something that's interesting to watch here. Another Chevy team. That, you know, track house RCR engine was very powerful last year. We actually kind of mentioned that in the Eric Jones podcast when he went Darlington. where I think we did the math here. It was, I think, eight or nine wins that uh, those RCR engines were powered by last year. So, you know, Live Fast Motorsports, obviously, we're not going to say they're in contention for anything this year. But, you know, moving to that alliance, it just shows that they are serious about competing moving forward. Some of these charters, you know, like Rick Ware and, you know, Spire, their competitiveness is questioned at times. So this is, you know, at least encouraging to see that live fast is kind of, you know, moving to RCR engines there.
0: You know, Bob, I I love that answer because it definitely wasn't one I was expecting, but here's one that you probably will be able to see coming from me. Um, Classic team, a lot of tradition. It's the gold 21. It's Wood Brothers racing Harrison Burton coming off of his rookie year. Some would say it was disappointing considering the dominance in some, in the lower series and, And the expectations were really high for him. But I think going into this year, um, everybody knows what he is now. We're not wondering what it would look like. We've seen what Harrison Burton driving this 21 car looks like. I'm anxious to see going into this year if he settles in um, as he's gained a little more seat time, gotten comfortable, kind of learned how to race. We talked a lot about that last year, about how guys need to learn how to race at the cup level. And I think Harrison Burton was kind of the, the biggest victim of that last year. And I'm very anxious, interested to see if he'll, he'll be able to kind of put some things together and find the success that he's had at just about every other level of racing. Um, but kind of an underwhelming rookie year. So just anxious to watch that gold 21 go around the track, see if he can't make a little bit of noise this year, Bob, that's my pick.
1: No, I, I that's, that's, that's interesting. Do that you say that? Cause you know, that, that Wood brothers car kind of an alliance with Penske there. It's almost a fourth car for them. So, you know, there should be some competitive, you know, racing in that car, whether you're not leading the pack. I'm not saying, you know, you're going to be a playoff driver, but you should be competitive. You should be in that top 20 to 25 range. So a big year for Harrison, you know, being that young, I mean, that's you're thrown into the wolves, man. There's little time to get prepped for that. So, uh, you know, one year of experience already. That's so valuable, I would imagine, there for him.
0: I mean, and not to mention, Bob, you kind of have to think about it because the natural comparison there is Ty Gibbs. And Ty Gibbs won a championship last year because it, it's one of those things. It's names that we both it's they both have very recognizable names in the sport. Obviously, they're not necessarily the same caliber driver, but at the end of the day, just to to have Ty Gibbs have that much success early is not helping Harrison Burton, in my opinion. So, be interested to see if he can't recover and kind of uh, kind of make a name for himself this year a little bit.
1: Yeah, for sure. It, it, it's one of those development cases where rushing a driver too early, I, I don't want to see another example of that, but you know, it, another year like last year could be trending more toward that because that's a, a competitive seat that a lot of drivers are going to want, and Ford's development seat really moving forward in the Cup is kind of around that 21 car, at least in the Penske side. So uh, another team that we'll, we'll touch on before we kind of get into the meat of the bones here with, I, I don't even think we mentioned at the beginning, I think we're going to do legacy RFK, Colleague in front row today, Ad. We're, we're not getting into all of them, but, you know, chewing off a little bit of a time. But there's one little niblet also. Spire Motorsports is out there as well with Corey LaJoy and Ty Dillon. That, yes, the the other Dillon grandson is uh, moving from the 42 uh, to that, to other Spire car taking over from Landon Castle. And Ad, you know, we, we won't spend too much time on here, but everyone always likes to make Corey LaJoy kind of that dark horse, you know, the low-funded charter team. Next-gen car was supposed to even everything up and, you know, he still didn't finish in the top 30 last year and had that you know magic moment in Atlanta. But other than that, I mean, what are your thoughts on Spire moving forward this year?
0: Um, you're going to learn a lot about how serious they are in competing this year because like you said, with the next-gen car, things were supposed to even up. Um, I think Corey LeJoy he, he made strides last year. Uh, you know, I think, there was times where he was he was racing towards the front and then, you know, something would happen towards the end of the race. Finish wouldn't be necessarily where, where he would expect or want to be. But moving forward, I just think it would be, if you're Spire, it, it's just time to, you're on the line you're very much on the line of, are we going to consistently be a, a joke team that runs towards the bottom? Or are we maybe going to sneak into that place where, you know, we'll talk about front row, that front row's kind of snuck into, where, yeah, they don't necessarily win every week, but they're at least competitive and they make you think that they've got a shot. And they probably do every now and again. I mean, we saw it last year at Watkins Glen. So it'll just be interesting to see what Spire does moving forward. I think Ty Dillon is a little bit more of a lateral move than anyone cares to admit. But um I just I don't know. I, I'm not willing to sell the farm on Cory LaJoy yet. I think I think there's he come came up racing with a lot of the talent that are household names in NASCAR. So I'm not I'm not gonna throw throw away quite yet. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna see if they can't continue to build, but this will definitely be kind of a put up or shut up year for Spire in my opinion.
1: No, I, I like the way you put that where especially you compare it with front row where, like you said, you know, not a top team, not, not funded very well, but you know, an Alliance team there with Ford, but they are, you know, competitive. There's no reason that a team like Spire shouldn't be competitive at super speedways. And, you know, you've got a guy like Corey LaJoy who's a pretty good plate track racer. Obviously you saw him competitive at Atlanta, but you don't see that those two cars really running toward the front at Daytona and Talladega, like some of the other teams that, you know, when the, when the field is kind of, you know, narrowed and, you know, even a team like Spire should be up there with a team like front row. So that's a that's a really good comparison. And We might as well, since you've mentioned it, we'll, we'll jump into the first of the four teams we're breaking into today. At. And, you know, front row motorsports kind of, I, I'd say, probably the third, maybe fourth team in development for Ford there. But, you know, Michael McDowell, Todd Gillen back. This is the second year of that pairing. Daytona 500 winner, Michael McDowell. Don't you forget, folks, do not forget that loves thirty four was in the in the victory lane at Daytona Beach, but add you know no rookie stripes for Todd Gillen this year. What are your thoughts on this team with uh, with Todd and with Todd Michael?
0: I, I'm going to be honest with you, Bob, and this is going to this is going to be kind of a weird thing to say, but I love this team. I think Michael McDowell, the grizzled vet, a guy who's been around the sport for so long. Has you know has won races has definitely lost his fair share of races and has everything happened in between. So who better to kind of bring Todd Gillan along than Michael McDowell? I think it's a really good pairing. Um, it's kind of like you know the other sport we cover. It's like you get your starting quarterback and you draft. You're able to draft a guy and kind of bring him along in that type of way. That way, so you can kind of pass the torch and not to say that that's what's going to happen here, but I mean, it, like I said. It, even though they're not winning races consistently, you at least feel like they're competitive and you at least feel like they're showing up to the track to at least win, to try and win. And they qualify well, They'll think, but then obviously things will happen during the race that, you know, it, it's with stage racing and all sorts of things, you kind of have to pick and choose your spots. And there's all, you know, I, I think the stage format kind of does a team like Front Row Dirty, but we can get into that in another podcast, but... I I think as far as what do I think of this team to get back before I go too far on a tangent, I like them. I think, I think it's a good pairing. I think the expectations are realistic. Um, And yeah, they may not win every race, but at least they're competitive.
1: No, I I like the way you put that. The next gen car is supposed to make teams like front row more competitive. And, you know, Michael McDowell, the 2021 winner of the Daytona 500, it feels like it was just yesterday, but I had to look at the date here. Ad, Uh, You know, He won and he was a playoff driver in 21, didn't make the playoffs in 22. But you look at his season last year, he was better consistently. Obviously, that Watkins Glen race that you mentioned earlier really comes to mind where he was racing for the lead there in the first stage with Chase Elliott. This is a guy that, you know, a sneaky driver, underrated, but decent road course, great plate track racer. There's no reason that he shouldn't be a, you know, twenty twenty one at worst in the playoff standings. We'll say, you know, notable loss. You know, he lost his crew chief. He lost Blake Harris, who I believe went to Alex Bowman, uh, his crew box for Hendrick. So, you know, losing a guy that he's been with for the last few years has really helped him get some success. Going to be interesting to see if Travis Peterson can replicate that. And on the other side, for Todd Gillen ad, this is the first time that the 38 car has had a driver in the same seat back-to-back years in, I think, five, six years. I mean, they, they've been kind of rotating, playing musical chairs in that car, so... Having a guy that's not just a rookie, maybe, you know, can make a step forward. You saw Todd Gillen make some steps, you know, the road course in India, I remember, top five finish. He's shown some flashes. He was racing, I believe. I'm trying to remember which one of the races it was last year. I think it was the Roval. He was a top five racer before his engine blew out. Yeah. I mean, there was a race where he was he was consistently yeah. running in the top five, and he led, I think, 20, 25 laps. There's a chance where they can develop that into something there, so... I'm not going to make this out to where they're going to be competing with SHR and Penske for the flagships of the Ford, but I think there is something to build on for front row moving forward.
0: And the thing that I was just going to mention is no stage is at, at road courses this year. I don't think they're doing stage. They're not going to be stage racing at road courses this year. One of the rule changes that we've got Almost forgot about has it. Has this been confirmed? Myself. Has that has that
1: been confirmed?
0: Almost positive. I, that's what I was going to say. I'm pretty sure it has been. Obviously, if you're looking for accuracy, go somewhere else. But, I mean, I hope that there's not any – if there's no stage racing or road courses, this is a dark horse team to bet on. Because this would, this would be a team that shows up to road courses consistently. Their strategy always seems to be very good at least gets them stage points in one, if not two, of the stages. So, be very interesting to see if they if they end up going no stages at road courses this year. Bob, take a look at that.
1: And the other the other thing, just to wrap up on front row here. Obviously, they've got Zane Smith, who won the twenty twenty three Trucks Champion. He's been in the futures deal with them, so uh, he's going to be running, I believe, that beard sixty two car in the Daytona five hundred. But they were had plans on him running, I think, four or five races under the. A third car with uh, front row. And, you know, he's a, a very highly touted driver in the development series. The fact that he is with them in the pipeline for Ford, that's a huge win for them. Whether they can, you know, get money for him down the line here or put him in a seat, that's a guy that, you know, you can build around too with Zane Smith. So I'm very curious to see what his development looks like and, you know, which races they put him in. But, you know, obviously having a, a truck series champion waiting in the wings is also nice to have.
0: No, 100% Bob. I mean, there's plenty of teams that moving forward, maybe one that's looking, I don't know, Bob, maybe to not necessarily get younger, but just a team that's looking to get a little bit more stable. And I think, I think this year will do a lot for them. Um, it's RFK racing, Bob. It's Brad Keselowski. It's Christopher Busher. Um A lot of moving parts for Brad Keselowski, it's felt like. Kind of had to uh, juggle a lot of balls, put a, put a lot of balls in the air to kind of You know, the the whole driver, owner, everything that he's got going on. Um, I I just think it had to be a weird thing for him last year to not win a race and to have, you know, to have Chris Buescher be so successful and to, to kind of really carry that team. I think obviously as an owner, he's happy, but... As a driver, you got to wonder what that does to the psyche. So I'm looking for a big bounce back here from Brad Keselowski. I think he looks and seems to be a lot more settled into his new role as a driver and an owner. Um, I think we don't necessarily give the guys who do that enough credit. Um, Obviously, you know, Denny Hamlin at 2311 and Jimmy Johnson, who we'll talk about in just a little bit here. But the driver-owner position is difficult because you have not only to worry about yourself, but... You're constantly worried about the team around you, and on top of that, the operation that the team kind of sits on. You're co- you have to know everything about that to be in that type of business. So, I think as Brad gets more comfortable doing that, it'll be interesting to see if his performance on the track improves this year. But Chris Busher had a hell of a year last year. It'd be interesting to see if the momentum keeps up, Bob.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh- yeah. I won't kind of, uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with Brad Keselowski. I won't, I won't reiterate too much of it, but like you said, you know, you, there's a lot to take in with the ownership role there. And, you know, I think you saw him take a step back there on his performance on the track maybe to, you know, kind of focus more of the assets on the whole. Cause when you look at Roush before Brad Keselowski got there, I mean, they haven't been competitive in five, six, seven years. You know, They wasted the last years of Greg Biffle with Matt Kenseth there, it, it, you know, it felt like a team that, you know, when you look at the early 2000s with, you know, the five different teams, the the Carl Edwards, the Matt Kenseth, the Greg Biffles, that team was a powerhouse with, you know, Jeff Burton even. And it felt like Roush never really developed with the times there. And they're kind of still stuck in that early 2000s. And Brad Keselowski knows this is a big project there. And you saw them take steps as the season goes on. I remember Chris Buescher, I think it was second in Sonoma when he was racing Daniel Suarez most of the race. He thought, oh, wow, he's not really a road course guy. This is you know, kind of out of nowhere for RFK. And then, you know, Busher then wins Sonoma, or not Sonoma, he wins Bristol in the fall race. Massive race, one of the biggest non-crown jewel races in NASCAR. And, you know, to not be a playoff driver and have that speed to win Bristol, I mean, that, that just shows the steps that they've taken even in one year with, you know, the new fresh blood in there to be competitive from a team that, again, like I said, was pretty much outdated and dinosaurish. That's a huge step forward, and I'm very curious to see what it looks like this year. Now that Brad has had that year to kind of see what it's like to have both hats in the ring, and Chris Buescher also with a a decent car as well.
0: Hundred percent, and it's one of those things that culture takes time. And I think you know, there's been a there. It hasn't been hidden that when Brad Keselowski got there, he felt like. It was a place that maybe was a little bit neglected, maybe didn't have the uh, a little bit of the TLC that a race team needs in order to be successful. But I just think when you've got the talent like a guy who, with Chris Busher and the resources with Brad coming in and kind of building the culture, and you, I, I think that's why you saw them win races last year was because the culture built pretty quickly. I think a lot quicker than anybody at, at RFK ever really would have thought. Cause I think, I I don't think they expected to win the amount of races they did last year. And, you know, it's not like Busher wasn't necessarily competitive in the playoffs. He did a good job. He drove well. I just, you know, I I, I just think as, as the season goes on, I'm just so interested to see if Brad Kislovsky can't get back to old form or if maybe it's time for him to go into a more permanent owner's role. I don't know. Maybe that's the question we get answered this year, Bob, but should be an interesting one for RFK.
1: One more question about RFK, and then we'll move on to some more ownership roles here, Ad. But I have one question for you. Chris Buescher had one win last year and one flip. Does he match either of those totals next year?
0: Oh, you know, I think they're so worried about these cars coming off the ground that they—if they didn't do enough to get downforce onto these cars to keep them from flipping last year—I'm going to take—I'm going to take he'll—he'll he'll get a win this year. I think—I think it's think a, a driver who will get a win. Out of all the teams that we've talked about, that's the first win that I feel very comfortable guaranteeing. Um, I, I do think RFK will get a win this year. Um, be very interesting to see if that's Brad Kislowski or Chris Buescher, but I will take Chris Buescher over wins plus one. Let's see it. Book it. All
1: right. Well, we'll, we'll keep him in the win column and not, you know, in the air. Then we'll, we'll stick to some good vibes for Chris. And you know, we talked about Brad Kislowski and the new ownership ad. Another driver that, uh, you know, we've seen a former champion put his name in the ring. And, uh, you know, if you blinked last year and you saw Petty GMS, no, you didn't. It is now Legacy Motor Club. Richard Petty, the Gallagher Motorsports Group, and now Jimmy Johnson have aligned into a beautiful little cohesive group. And Legacy's got a two-car system again here. And, you know, Ty Dillon out. We talked about him at Spire. They kind of cut him after a one-year deal. and. I was kind of shocked to see that, but add, but when you see what's moving forward, they've got Eric Jones, who obviously won the Southern 500 last year. Great story, showing a lot of speed after being kicked out of Joe Gibbs, kind of pushed out, I guess I should say, for Christopher Bell. And then you've got Noah Gragson coming in. I am very, very, very interested to see that dynamic as a rookie in the 42 car, a guy with a huge personality, a fan favorite. Legacy Motor Club is kind of one of the more intriguing teams, I think, next year. What, what, do you, what do you think here?
0: This team feels like a sitcom, Bob, because you got Eric Jones, who's kind of like that guy who's been kicked around a little bit, kind of, you know, really really has had to fight for everything, but mostly a quiet guy, kind of keeps to himself. And then you got Noah Gregson, who won't drink beer, throws up if he's got a chug after he wins for I, I believe it was, what What month was it that he dominated last year? I think it may, may have been September or October. One of them, one of the two. He just did something lose.
1: like that. Um, I identify with that, Noah, by the way. I feel you there.
0: No. We're not touching that, but it just gets to a point where you see two guys, it looks like America's odd couple. And then you look at their ownership level and you got the King and Jimmy Johnson. I mean, the whole thing, it's a reality show in the making over there at legacy motor club. Um, I I wish they would have picked a better name. i still think that Petty Johnson would have been hilarious, but who am I? Um, I'm just excited to see Jimmy Johnson back in NASCAR, to be honest with you. It feels like a, uh, Feels like a homecoming. Feels nostalgic. Feels feels like my childhood a little bit. Um, with Kurt Busch retiring and you know Kevin Harvick getting out of the game, it's it's good that it's good that we're taking you know a few steps backwards. But at least we got Jimmy Johnson back in the sport. So, feels good. Um, as far as expectations for this year, Bob, I don't know. I I, I like, would like to think that Jimmy Johnson's winning pedigree makes a difference, but. Be interested to see if it takes a year or two to feel that difference, because, I mean, obviously, Eric Jones winning the Southern 500 last year is a huge step for them. I mean, just to get them back into victory lane, period. Um, Be interested to see if they can be kind of take that win and either turn it into multiple wins this year, because I think they've definitely got the talent behind the, the cars to do it as far as the drivers go. Be interested to see if they've got the equipment to do it, though.
1: Yep, absolutely. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, Jimmy Johnson running five races uh, in the 84 car, already got the Carvana livery out for the Daytona 500. So, uh, you know, former 500 winner there, he's going to be competitive anytime you have somebody with seven championships, especially in this era. Uh, that expertise, that knowledge is invaluable even with a new car. It doesn't matter. That guy's seen a thing or two. He's been around for a while. Uh you look at Eric Jones as well. Go ahead.
0: I mean, can't you see it at the Daytona 500, a line of Jimmy Johnson, Eric Jones, and Noah Gregson just ripping around Daytona? I just literally, I, I just see it in my head right now, and it's just hilarious because it, 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 it's almost like you've got a, a dad and his two kids right behind him pushing him. I, I don't know what it's going to look like, but seems like it's going to be hilarious.
1: You look at that team, Eric Jones obviously made a huge stride last year. I think – he, you know, being the face of that team, Ty Dillon, he just completely blew out of the water as his teammate there. So it's it's hard to gauge how good Eric Jones performed in that car versus how good it actually is. But, you know, very competitive, especially to start the year. A couple of chances where he had, you know, decent runs at Fontana, Vegas. Uh, he, a lot of tracks that, you know, the Petty Johnson team that I, I'm i going to start calling it just because of you, had, uh, they historically had not had speed at the last five, 10 years. They, you know, showed improvements. And, you know, I talked about that, you know, RCR track house engine. I think that was a big part of it, you know, that development. And I only think it's going to get better as the new car goes and having somebody like Jimmy Johnson, like I said, five races, it doesn't matter. He had offers from track house. He had offers from uh, Hendrick motorsports to own just the 48 outright. He chose to be aligned with petty GMS. And that, that speaks to values moving forward that they have, plans to win and not just, you know, put his name on the car and it's just going to be money. They have plans to develop that car into a championship team. And I think that's something to watch.
0: Yeah. I, I, there's so much NASCAR pedigree in that garage that I I don't have the testicular fortitude, we'll call it, to bet against them. I mean, there's, there's more NASCAR championships in that garage right now than just about any room that you could possibly sit in. So... It, it just seems like if there's going to be two guys who know how to win races, who know how to build successful cultures, and it just feels like it's Petty, it's, it's Richard Petty and Jimmy Johnson. So I'm just so excited. It just feels like that shot in the arm that the sport needed to get Jimmy Johnson back. Um, you needed another, you know, that household name back to kind of bring fans that maybe have taken a hiatus or something like that back. Um, I I don't know. I just think, I I think there's a lot of exciting things around this, around this team this year, Bob. There's, it's just interesting to see what they'll do moving forward, how successful they'll actually be.
1: And Eric Jones on a contract year. Obviously I would like to see him extended. I I wouldn't be shocked if a couple teams made, made a few runs at him, depending on where the the dominoes fall in the the openings next year. But uh, you know, that's definitely something to watch because he is definitely the, the a driver there. Noah Gregson going to have to learn from Eric Jones is, you know, had a couple of different rides in, in the Cup Series. So he's got some, you know, expertise and I, I, a great guy to learn from. But, uh, you know, that's a, that's a team that I think we're, we're going to be interested, you know, when halfway through the season to see the, the development they've taken, I think, from last year with a with a big leap. And another team add, the last team in our our, our kind of preview tonight, Matt Colleague, you know, the rain gutter, the leaf guard man himself, went racing and, you know, opened Collig Racing and two charters. Two full-time drivers this year, not just one. Justin Haley is back, and they're filling the other seat. Not just you know having it rotating in and out. It's the Dinger. The Dinger is back. The Dinger is here full-time to race in Cup, and damn it, I'm happy. I've got a lot to say about calling a couple of takes, but Ad, this is our podcast, not mine. So go ahead. I want to hear what you think here first.
0: Look at you, very generous. I'm. I, I rather. I take the ball and run with it on this podcast. I don't apologize for my rant. A
1: selfless lover
0: not touching that anyway Bob colic racing it just it goes to show you what this sport looks like when it is well funded because Matt collick has done just about everything as far as funding goes in order to field a successful race team and they've gotten pretty close I would say that they are the one team right now in NASCAR that oddly enough it feels like it's a little bit more of a driver issue than it is a machine issue i think getting aj allmendinger in there permanently is going to help um one of the more dominant road course racers alive right now um so anytime you go to a road course race with aj allmendinger i think you've got a chance um i mean shit he didn't have power steering at one of the races last year and he still was hanging in the top 10 so i'm never going to bet against him to kind of sneak one out at a road course but justin haley um I don't know, not a name that, a name that excited me a few years ago, but the luster kind of feels like it's wearing off. Um, Another guy who kind of feels like this is a make or break year. This is a year where he's kind of got to show everybody where he's at, um, whether he's going to fall kind of into that, the pit of despair of having to look for a ride and kind of sit in the, sit in the backup seat and stuff like that. Or is he going to rise and kind of keep the seat full time and, And keep it going. But, you know, I just I'm just I'm, I'm anxious to see what colleagues got this year because there's a I know it's a well funded operation. I know they're they're trying to build a culture. Be interesting to see how big of a step they can take, especially because, you know, it's supposed to be price neutral here, Bob. So anyway, that's my colleague rant. I'm interested to hear yours, my friend. So the floor is yours.
1: Well, I just want to be very clear. This is not endorsed at all by Matt Collig or the Leaf Gutter or LeafGuard companies here. This podcast is very neutral and independent here. But I would like to go ahead and say I am big on Collig racing this year, Ad, just because of the fact you add AJ Allmendinger, one of the best drivers in the world, if you really look at it. I mean, the guy on a road course, no matter what you put him in, he's gonna be if not winning, top five, top ten. There's no way in hell this guy is not going to win a road course this year. I'll say it. I think the colleague is going to get a car in the playoffs. I really do. I'm not going to say that they're going to be this year's track house and get both in or you know, they win multiple races here, there, everywhere. But I think that they're going to take the next step. You looked at last year with you know Justin Haley, and then they had the, the other car that kind of was you know rotated in and out. You have two charters, but you only are using one. They didn't really know what to do with it there. Getting someone like AJ Allmendinger in there is so much great experience. And then you add Justin Haley, who, you know, obviously he's won a Daytona Daytona uh summer race back in I think 2018, 2019. You looked at him last year on the surface, not a great year. But if you look at it how he ended the year, the last uh, let's, let's give her eight, ten weeks, maybe the last three months here of the season. Actually, was pretty consistent. He was actually one of the better drivers. If you if you rank the play uh, the points of just those last ten to fifteen races, I think he would have made the playoffs. Actually, he was a top 15, 20 driver. There's twentieth in the points there, four top tens. I'm not going to say he's going to be out there a championship threat, but I wouldn't be shocked if he was out there contending for you know back during his way into the points when it comes down to the the last Daytona race there. And you know, obviously with AJ Allmendinger that experience it just seems like a a recipe that colleague is going to take a step forward this year like i said maybe not track house level but i do like this team moving forward there and it just anytime you had aj Almendinger, man it's it's hard to hard to say no there
0: no i, I agree 100 percent i think it's fair um I, I love that you're you're you know kind of hedging the track house thing and saying i don't think that's gonna happen because i mean how could you ever think that that success is going to get repeated but I, who knows so Bob. hard
1: to so hard to formulate even somewhat success the fact that Trackhouse did what they did last year is incredible I, I don't even know if Trackhouse can do what they did last year
0: no I all the stars aligned everything went right for them um Bob I I think that just about wraps it up for uh for the season preview to this point um kind of kind of covered a lot of bases here um some of the smaller teams things like that um, any final thoughts, anything that you wanted to get out before we before we let the people go here?
1: No, you know, this is obviously year two of the, the next-gen car, so, you know, the costs are, you know, that's supposedly what, you know, evens the playing field here. But, you know, with a year of development now, you're going to see teams that find a way to, you know, bridge that gap. And maybe one of these teams is one of those teams that finds, you know, a 10th year there everywhere. And who knows, Ad? We could be in a world where college racing or... RFK Racing, or maybe Legacy? Ah, no, 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 probably not. But maybe some of these teams are competing for the chase.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm willing to say that some of the team, maybe. All right, let's let's say this, Bob. Of the teams that we talked about today, how many would you say have a realistic shot? Making making the playoffs this year, having a driver make the playoffs.
1: That's a, a that's a really
0: good question. A legitimate shot. I think
1: I think you go I think you go calling immediately just because of all Mindier on road courses. I, I think agree, that comes 100%. to mind immediately.
0: Yep.
1: And then the other one, I think Legacy just because of Eric Jones's ex- experience, and he showed that he had speed last year. I I wouldn't be shocked if Eric Jones took a step this year and is a top fifteen driver.
0: I could see it, but I mean, then obviously, how do we leave RFK off this list? Because I mean, obviously, I, I to mean, me, what do you,
1: I think it's just too many too many cooks in the Ford kitchen.
0: I, do you really? I don't know, man. Chris Buescher, I mean, he drove the wheels off of that car last year. I, I just, I, I can't see him not carrying the momentum over. Um, that's that's what I'll say about that. But I mean. I don't know. It feels like we've got high hopes for everybody right now, because obviously it's the preseason. But, you know, I I am I'm just so curious to see in the world of the next gen car, like you said, we're moving forward. and, And obviously it's even as the kids will say. But, you know, as my dad always told me, there's only two fairs in your life. And one of them's in L.A. County in the summer and the other one's in Orange County. And it's a little bit later usually. So there is no fair. These people will, the you know, people cheat in NASCAR. They will find ways to get advantages. We have poured money into this. I've Once again, the greatest thing about this, Bob, is we have no idea what changes they may or may not have made to make this car safer. We don't know yet. And I'm sure we'll hear a lot more going towards the clash. But, you know, we'll be here to break it down with you in the same way we always do. Bob, who, do you want to give the people a little bit of a tease? Who are we talking about next week? Who are we talking about?
1: Yeah, I know we we had kind of talked. I think we've got to. Uh, I think we've got twenty three eleven RCR Trackhouse and SHR. I believe made the cut there, possibly uh, SHR three to four potentially. But uh, well, we, we've got to, we've got a breakdown. That, look for that on the YouTube on Thursday night. We'll be dropping that, and we'll be kind of shifting more of the NASCAR content to YouTube. I think, Ad, just because you know that is that is our content place for NASCAR. It feels like it just feels like home, so. Our beautiful faces will be talking NASCAR primarily on YouTube as well, but we'll be loading these on Spotify for you as well.
0: Yeah. No, just excited to kind of, as we inch towards the clash, uh, you know, it's it's one of these things living in the greater LA area that the commercials have been ever present. The billboards are everywhere. It's just, it's getting exciting around here, Bob. I'm, I'm just anxious to see how the event goes. I'm, you know, obviously being there last year, ton of fun, but we're here to bring you all the information you need to get ready for NASCAR season. And we'll be here. all. It's fun
1: off-season. talking. It's fun talking off season and silly season, but Ad, I'm ready to talk about cars on tracks. So I'm, I'm there. I'm, it's been long enough. Even a short off season like NASCAR. It's long enough.
0: Yeah. One of those things where you don't have to wait long, but for some people it's, it's longer than others. So, and that is what she said. And with that, Good morrow, ladies and gentlemen. This has been episode 37 of the Breaking Balls podcast.